welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, April 30th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Stacey Abrams is not running for Senate. Early polling in Texas finds surprising results. A CNN poll finds voter enthusiasm is way up. Pete Buttigieg faces false attacks from the right wing. 2020 candidates begin signing a unity pledge. And Biden supports a public option, but not Medicare for all. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. In a video tweeted early this morning, Stacey Abrams announced that she would not run for Senate in Georgia. Now, this lines up with the rumor I mentioned yesterday that today was her deadline for deciding on that race. In the video, Abrams said in part, quote, The fights to be waged require a deep commitment to the job, and I do not see the U.S. Senate as the best role for me in this battle for our nation's future, end quote. She goes on to promise to support the Democratic Senate candidate in Georgia, whoever that ends up being. But of course, everybody watching that video immediately wanted to know, okay, what about president? Well, no word on that yet. Later in the announcement, Abrams says, quote, while I still don't know exactly what's next for me, here's what I do know. Democracy in America is under attack. Voter suppression is rampant and it is real. We've seen the impact of voter suppression in the 2019 legislative session here in Georgia. From hackable voting machines to attacks on women's rights to a failure to expand Medicaid and save our rural hospitals to jeopardizing our state's economy, bad policies are a direct result of people's voices not being heard because their votes were not counted. Over the coming weeks, you'll be hearing more from me and my team about groundbreaking initiatives to protect the right to vote and to increase the participation of Americans in setting the course for Georgia and the future of our country. I hope you will continue to stand with me, and thank you. End quote. Now, if you haven't followed Georgia politics lately, Abrams has been talking quite a bit about voter suppression in the state, particularly among people of color, in her recent run for governor against Brian Kemp. Let me read from an NBC News summary here. Quote, In the month before the vote, Kemp's office, which oversaw the election, had more than 50,000 voter registration applications still pending. Most of those were from black voters, according to the Associated Press, which led to Abrams and civil rights groups accusing Kemp of discriminatory practices. Abrams, who lost that election by about 54,000 votes, called the election process rotten and rigged. Kemp denied trying to disenfranchise voters and said he was following the law. Abrams' organization, Fair Fight Action, is currently suing the Georgia Board of Elections and Secretary of State over charges of voter suppression. End quote. So is Abrams running for president? She has not made up her mind, and that is fine. In a new poll, Emerson Polling examined voters in Texas. Now, Texas is a state that has not been won by a Democrat in a presidential race since Jimmy Carter in 1976. But right now, and admittedly it is early days, it actually might be competitive. Let's briefly talk about why that state is so important. So Texas is an incredible prize because it has 38 electoral votes. That's the same as Pennsylvania and Ohio put together. Or look at it this way. It's Florida plus South Carolina. It is huge. And here's one more way to look at it. Remember the 2016 election? Well, if Texas had gone for Clinton rather than Trump, Clinton would have won. That's the only change that would have been necessary. It is that big a state, and it is that vital for the outcome. 
This is another moment where I want to plug electoralvotemap.com, link in the show notes, where you can play around with state outcomes and see what happens overall, like flip Texas from red to blue and check out how the numbers change, that kind of thing. Okay, so in the poll, the first thing Emerson asked was about candidate popularity within the state, which is something we are obviously very curious about for the primaries. Among Democrats who said they would vote in the primary, leading the pack with 23% was Joe Biden. But native son Beto O'Rourke was second with 22%, then Bernie Sanders was at 17, Pete Buttigieg at 8, and so on. Julian Castro, also from Texas, was in sixth place with 4%. Now, given the 15% threshold we talked about on Wednesday last week, meaning in the primary you gotta get 15% of the vote in your state or you get nothing, what that means is you have three candidates who could be splitting up all of the Texas delegates on Super Tuesday. Those would be Biden, Sanders, and O'Rourke. The rest would get nothing. All right, so the next thing the pollsters asked was for all the people polled, not just the Democrats, to imagine a series of presidential matchups. So Trump versus so-and-so. And And here's where stuff gets pretty wild. In those hypothetical matchups, Biden beats Trump 50% to 49%. Now, statistically, that is not a win. That is a toss-up. But wow, that is close. And also, O'Rourke ends up at 50-50 versus Trump. Another toss-up. Then Sanders is at 49% to Trump's 51%. Warren is at 47% to Trump's 53%. And then you have Harris and Buttigieg both at 46% to Trump's 54%. Those last two results, Harris and Buttigieg, fall outside the margin of error for the poll, meaning they're not toss-ups, that's an actual loss. But still, to have so many potential candidates polling so close to an incumbent president who won that state in the last cycle really is something. What this means, reading from Spencer Kimball's interpretation of the poll, is, quote, In general election matchups, Trump is in statistical dead heats with four of the top six Democratic opponents and leads the other two. End quote. So keep an eye on the Lone Star State, because things just got interesting. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, one more big polling story for today. CNN has conducted a poll which, among many other things, asked voters how enthusiastic they are about voting for president in next year's election. So this next bit of data comes from a tweet by Ryan Strzok, who works for CNN. I'm going to read a series of years for the previous polls and the percentage of voters in those years who said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting for president, okay? So it's year and percentage of extreme enthusiasm, okay? 2003, 19%. 2007, 26%. 2011, 28%. 2015, 
22%. That's dropping down. 2019, 45%. That is more than double the 2015 number, and it's better than all the previous numbers in this particular poll. So, this year people are already super pumped to vote for president. But what does that mean? Is it just Democrats that are enthusiastic, or is it Republicans, or both? Well, I dug into the PDF of the raw data, and on page 34, the methodology behind that question is explained in great detail. The pollsters asked everybody who was registered to vote, regardless of party, whether they were, quote, extremely enthusiastic, very enthusiastic, somewhat enthusiastic, not too enthusiastic, or not at all enthusiastic, end quote, about voting for president specifically. And on that page, they break it down by party self-identification. So among registered voters who lean Democratic, the very enthusiastic number is 46%. Among registered voters who lean Republican, it's 47%. So what you see here is not just Democrats psyched to go out there and defeat Trump. Not at all. What we have here is evidence of a heavily engaged electorate on both sides. That is fascinating. And now the other big news from that same CNN poll is about Democratic primary voters' top preference, and, no surprise, Joe Biden. Now that he is officially in the race, he is polling at 39% among the primary field. This is a massive bump after his announcement last week, and the next two on the list are Bernie Sanders at 15% and Elizabeth Warren at 8%. And one last bit of analysis from this poll. I'm reading here from CNN's Harry Enten. Quote, One of the biggest surprises of this primary season so far is how two white men, Biden and Sanders, have continuously led a field with a record number of women. I certainly thought women would have an edge after a record number of Democratic women were elected to the House of Representatives last year. Well, part of the reason women candidates aren't doing better is that there isn't much of a gender gap so far. That is, women and men voters have similar preferences. Our poll has Biden and Sanders scoring nearly identical percentages of the vote from women and men. None of the women candidates are getting into the double digits with women or men. End quote. Now that's something to watch as we get closer to the primaries. All right, this next story is the kind of thing I truly hate covering, but if I didn't cover it, the whole premise of the show that I keep you posted on what's making news in the primary would not work. So here we go. The Daily Beast reports that a pair of activists on the far right have tried and failed to gin up a sex scandal against Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Reading from the beginning of the very long and detailed article, quote, a pair of right-wing provocateurs are being accused of attempting to recruit young Republican men to level false allegations of sexual assault against Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. The details of the operative's attempt emerged as one man suddenly surfaced with a vague and uncorroborated allegation that Buttigieg had assaulted him. The claim was retracted hours later on a Facebook page appearing to belong to the man. A Republican source told the Daily Beast that lobbyist Jack Berkman and internet troll Jacob Wohl approached him last week to try to convince him to falsely accuse Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, of engaging him sexually while he was too drunk to consent. The source who spoke to the Daily Beast said Berkman and Wohl made clear that their goal was to kneecap Buttigieg's momentum in the 2020 presidential race, end quote. Now, to back that up, the Daily Beast reports that they have an audio recording of that meeting in which Wool refers to Buttigieg as, quote, a terminal threat, end quote, 
to President Trump's re-election. And it goes way deeper than that. This is a story involving, allegedly, these two guys flying people around the country, making fake social media accounts, and generally stirring the pot with a very clear goal and a very painful outcome for the men involved. Reading again from the Daily Beast, quote, Asked about the allegation on Monday, Buttigieg called it made up. It's not going to throw us, he said. Politics can be ugly sometimes, but you have to face that when you're in presidential politics, end quote. And, okay, just one more line from the article because it is so beautiful and so much of this moment. Quote, As our source recalled, I was sitting there thinking, this is the fire festival of political operations. End quote. So read the rest. There's a link in the show notes for a well-reported look at how smear campaigns work, or, I guess, don't work in these modern times. And now, a message of unity. Ed Kilgore, writing for New York Magazine, notes that some 2020 candidates are already signing what's called a unity pledge created by the progressive group Indivisible. Okay, reading from Kilgore's piece here, quote, The pledge is pretty simple, committing candidates to a positive campaign, respecting their rival's sincerity, an immediate endorsement of the winner, and a strong, common effort to beat Trump. But simple as it was, it seemed necessary, given the competitive pressures of a huge field representing quite different ideological and strategic views. In an article yesterday, I went so far as to argue that voters considered their own pledge not to support those refusing to sign the pledge. End quote. Now, I was about to read out Kilgore's list of six candidates who had signed it already, but the list is already way out of date in just one day. So let's hear it for party unity, right? Okay, here is the current list in alphabetical order of the 11 candidates who have already signed onto the pledge. Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. By the way, Sanders was the first to sign on, which really got this moving. Now, of the candidates who have not signed the pledge, there are really two who kind of stick out, Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke. We'll have to wait and see whether they do. And quite honestly, by the time you hear this, that list might well have changed. There's a link in the show notes to see the pledge for candidates. And there's also an individual voter pledge. It's a very similar idea, but it's a way for voters to say, I'm in it for the party in this election. But of course, in the primary, I am in it for my favorite candidate. And finally today, healthcare. Now, as I write this, the House has begun hearings on the Sanders Medicare for All bill. Expect those to generate some big headlines for tomorrow. But before we can get into that, I want to talk about a headline Joe Biden made on Monday. Biden said that he supports a public option as an added part of the existing Obamacare system, which would allow any American or any American employer to buy into a Medicare-like health insurance plan run by the government. At an event yesterday in Pittsburgh, Biden said, quote, whether you're covered through your employer or on your own or not, you should have the chance to buy into a public option plan for Medicare, your choice. If the insurance company isn't doing right by you, you should have another choice, end quote. Now, part of what's interesting here is that despite that wording, Biden is not actually saying that Americans should be able to sign up for actual Medicare. Instead, he is suggesting creating a new government option that is very much like Medicare and letting folks sign up for that. And by doing that, Biden would effectively create a new government-run player in the market competing against private insurers. 
Those of us who remember those early Obamacare battles may remember that a public option like this was part of the plan, until it wasn't. A Biden campaign aide told the Washington Post that more details on this plan will come later in the campaign. Reading from the Post here, quote, Although key details remain unclear, Biden's plan to create a Medicare public option could give consumers much less expensive insurance without the limited networks that exist in private insurance plans, said Larry Levitt, a health policy expert at the Kaiser Family Foundation, a nonpartisan group. The notion that a Medicare public option is now seen as a moderate idea shows how much the healthcare debate has shifted among Democratic candidates, Levitt said. It doesn't go as far as Medicare for all in simplifying the system, but it may avoid some of the political pitfalls. End quote. Well, that's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Busy day, busy week, and, you know, these Medicare for All hearings in the House right now have political Twitter going totally buzzy. I'm going to go tune into some of those so that you do not have to, and I guess you're welcome. All right, I will talk to y'all tomorrow.